You're listening to After Further Review with your host, Dan Watkins. $31 million man-child, whatever you want to call him. I, I am already sick and tired of this guy this year. Just absolutely pissing me off to no end. This guy is so mentally fragile, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and Kevin Lakito. I will never say Charlie Black. This guy brags so much of it. You know what? I'm going to be the guy that turns this guy down. If he was playing the outfield for the New York Mets, he'd probably be on the DL. Your source for all things sports and the occasional food conversation. I don't get it. I don't. I don't see see all the hype. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. It's, got it's the, funny it's got because coconut, you talk to right? other people. You talk to other people, and they're like, "Oh, well, obviously you have Samoa's hands down number one." And I'm thinking, actually, it's like not even in my top five. Yeah, that's not my. You're gonna present all the Girl Scout cookies in front of me. That's one of the last ones I'm I'm grabbing. Follow us on Twitter at AFRPod. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of After Further Review. This is podcast number 89. For those of you counting along at home, we're getting close to the two-year anniversary mark on this program. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Kevin Latito. And since it's Halloween, Kev, I know I'm holding you up from going trick-or-treating, so we'll try to get this done as we as quickly as possible. How you doing, bud? No, I'm doing good. I, I need to ask, what's your what's your favorite candy on I, Halloween? I was just I was going to ask you this too. So I mean, I think that un, undoubt undoubtedly the goat. Is it the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup? I mean, okay, so this is the thing. My favorite candy is Reese's Pieces. Yep. My, it, it, not the putter, Peanut Butter Cup, just Reese's Pieces itself, but a very close second is the Kit Kat. Kit Kat? All right. I mean, what are you, what are you handing out this year? You, what are you handing out? I have I have Kit Kats and Snickers. Kit Kats? And, that's, what, you copy me? I mean, I got some Peanut Butter M&Ms, and I got this Peanut Butter Lover bag and Kit Kats. Yeah, but and, you also have a three-year-old dog that's going to maul kids at the front door. He's two, and he, yes, he is sitting right up against the glass of the front door. Just, first, first Halloween. Yeah, I know. He's foaming at the mouth they pretty much. They don't celebrate. For, for all of you guys that don't know, uh, Dan's dog is from China. Yeah. They don't celebrate Halloween in China. Yeah, no, we know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking out the, the front window of my house right now, and there's just kids that are just waiting for their parents to go, and, I, and Ralph has just fogged up the entire glass of the glass door. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, just salivating to see which one he's going to get his teeth on. It, it's, yeah, it's, he's just it's like laughing maniacally, like, come up, come up to my door, see what happens. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> anyways... Um, um, last week we talked about maybe that would be our the end of baseball season before we talked again next, and it turned out that it was. The Red Sox have won the World Series, um, beating the LA Dodgers in five games. I mean, basically they really played six games. That absurd 18-inning game Friday night, Kev. Did you stay up till the end of that? I made it to the. I honestly made it to the seventeenth inning. Seventeen. Ironically, my brother was getting married on the next day, and once once it got to like the eleventh or twelfth inning, I kept telling myself, "All right, I gotta go to bed. I gotta go to bed. Right. All right, one more inning. One more inning." And then, of course, like all the chaos kind of broke out in the twelfth, where Boston takes the lead, and then Kinsler makes the error. Yep. So it's like right when you think, "Okay, nothing has happened for a couple innings," it kind of sucks you back in, and then you're sitting around for like another two or three innings waiting for something to happen. And uh, in the seventeenth inning, I called it quits, and then I woke up the next morning. And I saw that the game ended in the 18th. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, if I, if I would have stayed up for, like, another half hour, I would have seen the end. But, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, my, my, my first initial reaction just looking at uh, the World Series in itself is, you know, everything that could have gone right for the Boston Red Sox. You know, Alex Cora, we talked about how he was pushing all the right buttons the whole entire series. Yep. Uh, you know, not the whole entire series, all but year. the whole entire postseason. All year. Uh, and yeah, it, it just seemed like everything was clicking. The thing that I would take away from the Red Sox winning the World Series is that, you know, it was kind of the guys that you didn't expect 
Uh, yep. It's not like J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts absolutely had monstrous postseasons or monstrous World Series. It was guys like Nunez and guys like, you know, uh, Steve Pierce. Devers and, 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 and Pierce, of course, which, of course, brings me to my next point. How are you not wearing a David Price jersey today? All right. We've been, we just talked about how we're almost at the two-year anniversary of the show. For almost a year and a half, you've been going off about how the Red Sox need to get rid of David Price, that he's just a bum, that he needs out of Boston. Can you finally admit that you probably wouldn't have won this World Series if David Price didn't do what he did this postseason? No question. Without a doubt, the Red Sox do not win the World Series without David Price. And are you perfectly okay with paying him $30 million next year? Uh, 31 and he did. He, he did. He um before the parade got going today on Wednesday, he did announce that he's opting in to the last four years of his oh, contract. Shocker. Big shocker! He's going to get 31 next year, and then 32 each of the next three, which will take him through age 37. And what David Price did, I mean, I have never bashed an athlete more than I have this guy, whether it's on my team or a team I root against, um, than this guy. And he absolutely shut everybody up. Um, from this Game 5 AL- ALCS start against Houston in Houston where he pitched a gem, and then his Game 2 start in the World Series to his Game 5 start in the World Series. He's the only guy in history to beat uh, two Cy Young Award winners in back-to-back starts in the postseason. I mean, how or in, in two po- to beat two Cy Young Award winners in a single postseason, beating Justin Verlander head-to-head, then beating Clayton Kershaw head-to-head. Um, I mean, if there's anybody who has more postseason you know, question marks and struggles now you know, than David Price, it's Clayton Kershaw, uh, which we can, we'll talk about him in a minute. But, yeah, David Price, I mean, he did it. He delivered, and honestly, I mean, I know Steve Pierce had an absurd series and, you know, the two home runs in Game 5, but David Price... David Price is the World Series MVP for real. Those two wins, what he did, I mean, you can't say. And how about coming out of the bullpen? Coming out of the bullpen in, in Game Three in that eighteen inning game, he pitched to two. Uh, he pitched to three batters, got two outs, and then warming up again in Game Four. I mean, the dude, like the dude, was a baller. I mean, it didn't start off well. He got shelled by the Yankees in round one, and we're going here we go again. Then he has a rocky start against Houston to begin the ALCS, and then it just like whatever he did on that mound when he was raking that mound in Houston. Something just like, you know, out with the bad energy, in with the good. And he just t- he turned it on. And um, our good friend, Jay Rubin, um, has ordered me a David Price is Good t-shirt. And, oh, that's great. <laughs> and, I love it. Yeah, so I will be uh, posting a picture of that whenever that arrives. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then in the post game. It's so great because from now on, if you ever ran into David Price, you'd probably give him a big hug and be like, oh, David one of your biggest fans little did he know if he ever listened to any episode of afr pod <laughs> yeah, he could just i mean if he just went through my twitter episode. if he just went through my twitter i mean i'm blocked by drew pomeranz on twitter for some of the things i've said about him <laughs> <laughs> so um but anyways yeah i mean i was hoping honestly best case scenario for me was he pitched like that and then he opted out and went away so i didn't have to deal with him for years now to come but he's still here um but yeah i, I can't rip him and then his post-game press conference at the podium when he said, I hold all the cards now. I mean, basically, he went up to the podium, pulled down his pants, and just shook his ass at everybody because it's just like, how does it taste? Because all year long, he kept saying, I know, I know, wait till October. See, it doesn't matter till what we do in October. And the dude was lights out. I mean, second half, he was like 8-1 and one with a two two five ERA. And then going into the playoffs there, those last three starts, I mean, it just, you can't pitch any better than he did, uh, what he did there going through the World Series. And... um 
Yeah, Alex Cora as well, like we just mentioned. I mean, he had, he fired some shots at the Yankees today at the World Series Parade. Kev, I don't know if you heard him, but it was just freaking awesome. Because remember, after Game 2 of the ALDS, the Yankees won in Fenway. Aaron Judge is playing New York. New York, it looks like, okay, the Red Sox are about to fall apart. And uh, <clears throat> Alex Cora goes up to the podium today at Fenway and uh, basically says, um, yeah, everybody thought the sky was falling, and then we went to the Bronx and scored 16 runs in one game. Suck on that. So just shots fired at the Yankees, which uh, you got to love, and that's my manager. Uh, Alex Cora, I mean, what it, I mean, he's going to probably win manager of the year. So, I mean, all around, I mean, and once again, so this year it feels like the third straight year that the team that was the best in April came out of the gate the hottest, ended up winning the World Series. It was that way last year with the Astros, two years ago with the Cubs. I can't remember if the Royals were hot out of the gate in 2015, but they were just coming off going to the World Series, so I'm sure they were. So we're seeing that this in baseball now, that the teams that start off hot, they just carry it through to the World Series. Um, but <clears throat> So you got the Red Sox, they win, all that. And then you go to the other side. You take a look at Dave Roberts, who... How much of the blame, Kev, do you put on Dave Roberts? Um, I mean, I don't put he too made... much of the blame on Dave Roberts. I know he made some. I know he made some questionable decisions. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, are are hating on him for you know some of the bullpen choices that he made. You know, Alex Wood was a little shaky in the bullpen, and he kept going back to him. Uh, Kelly Jansen going multiple innings when he hasn't really been right. Uh, this you know the, the second li- half of the year, the lineup, and, the first two games of the series where he didn't play any of his left-handed batters. The top, the and, do- and did you did you know that? Yeah, did you know this stat that the Dodgers, the first two games of the World Series, became the first team in Major League history to not pl- not start any of their top four home run hitters in the first two games of the World Series. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's pretty crazy. But like, but at the end of the day, what I can say is that watching all these games. It's not like, you know, the Boston Red Sox overwhelmed the Dodgers. I don't I don't take that from this series at all. If anything, this series was about the Do- whenever the Dodgers made a play, the Boston Red Sox came back and not only answered it, but like made even a bigger play that kind of overwhelmed the Dodgers. The Dodgers had plenty of chances in this series throughout every single game to, you know, try to take control of the series and you thought maybe after that big you know, eighteen you know, eighteen inning win in game three, uh, and you know, kind of messing up the the bullpen and the starting rotation for the Boston Red Sox, that they would be able to maybe squill you know, sneak out game four and then boom, now it's a tie series game on. Uh and and here they are, they're up by four runs in game four and they just absolutely implode. So um, yeah, I, yeah, of course, it, it starts from the top down. So anytime, you know, you lose a series and you lose a series in five games, you're definitely going to have to put a little bit of blame on the manager. But at the end of the day, me and you had talked about this. We had talked about it during the games. It seemed like the Dodgers had chance, you know, time after time, they had chances. I mean, Manny Machado, it seemed like got up a bunch of times in this series. He was a with dud. A, a cha- he yeah, was a With a dud. chance to break open the game or possibly get a big, you know, a big hit. Same thing with Puig. I know Puig. We hit that home run, uh, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't put too much blame on Dave Roberts. If anything, I just I put it on missed opportunities. The Dodgers had chances to take control of this series, and they just didn't do it. And then you turn to our guy, who we both have gushed about on this program, and yet again, once again, just coming up short in the playoffs. Clayton Kershaw going 0-2 in this World Series with a 7.36 ERA. Um, Game one, he was not very good. The Red Sox, the Red Sox got to him even early and often, and then uh, 
In game five, I mean, the late home runs, I felt like Roberts left him in a little too long there. But at that point, you had to have your best pitcher on the mound, and he just left some pitches in the middle of the plate that Mookie and JD were able to, and Steve Pierce were able to jump on. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, Kev, how, how are you looking at his legacy now? You've seen him in two World Series. Last year, he was okay. He was certainly better than this year. And then this year, not very good. How do you look at Clay, Clayton Kershaw here? Uh, it's tough, man, because it's like you look at his regular season numbers and you can stack them up against any other pitcher ever in the history of the game, and you can make an argument that Clayton Kershaw might be the best regular season pitcher that the game has ever seen. But then you look at his postseason number, and it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's like a totally different guy. Um, I don't know if it's because of fatigue. I don't know if it's because of injury. We know that Clayton's been banged up the last couple of years. But it just seems like this is the same M.O. for, you know, Kershaw. And, and it sucks because I'm a Clayton Kershaw guy and I love him. And he's one of the best. And when he's and, and when he's going and he's he's on, he's unhittable. But I, I'm not exactly sure where Clayton Kershaw goes from here because we've kind of gotten to the point with Kershaw where it's like, okay, we understand what you're going to do in the regular season. Kind of like David Price, but show me what you're going to do in the postseason because that's obviously where you make your money. And, you know, Clayton Kershaw obviously has all the regular, you know, the team success and we know of the individual accolades. But the thing that he doesn't have is the uh, the postseason success and, and a World Series. And you know what? Who, who's to say that he doesn't go to another team in the future and possibly get the monkey off his back and win a World Series and have a successful postseason? Whether that's going to happen in, uh, you know, in L.A., I, I don't know. Uh, that Time will tell because, you know, he's got a big decision coming up to make on whether he wants to be a Dodger for the rest of his career. But, yeah, man, I, I don't think you can, even as a, a Kershaw supporter, I don't think you can sit here and just say, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, it's just a bad couple starts. Because at this point in his career, it's happened year in and year out, and it, it's, it's starting to become, you know, something that's labeled with him. I'm not going to compare him, you know, to the LeBron thing where you know people were saying oh well until LeBron wins a championship you can't consider him one of the best because I think when in baseball it's a little different you have like your regular season numbers and then you have your postseason numbers because right there's plenty of pitchers that have had a lot of success in the postseason and not as much as much success in the regular season first person that always comes to mind is Andy Pettit every Yankee fan that you talk to is like oh well look at Andy Pettit's you know look at Andy Pettit's uh, you know, postseason career. Same thing with John Lester. John Lester, look at John Lester's postseason career. He's a gamer. Um, so we know that, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to be labeled one of the greatest, you have to get it done in the crunch time, uh, you know, and right now Clayton's just not doing it. So I don't think Clayton Kershaw is done. I mean, there's a lot of people that are coming out saying, you know, Clayton's done. His fastball was sitting at 80, 90 miles an hour. Um, Clayton basically came out and said, yes, you know, he thinks that once he gets health, completely healthy, and uh, once he's able to get back on, like, a strengthening program, he thinks he should be able to get his fastball back up to 93, 94, uh, which if that is the case, uh, you know, I think Clayton Kershaw will be perfectly fine. So I don't think this is the cliff for Clayton Kershaw, but this bugaboo in the postseason is definitely something, uh, you know, that's going to stick with him for a while. It's a big, dark, gray cloud over him. I mean, he's only 30 years old. He's had multiple backs, back injuries, back surgeries now. Um, you know, I want to say I want to believe that Clayton Kershaw can is going to have another good five year run here, at least in the regular season, anyway. And luckily for him, it looks like the Dodgers have an absolute stud in the waiting in Walker Bueller. That less of that pressure will be on Kershaw to be that number one, where maybe he could take a step back to number two, and uh, then go from there. So, looking at the rest of the league, Kev, your Mets making a very interesting. 
Uh, higher at GM, a guy with no baseball experience whatsoever. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, he's never never ran a front office. He is actually – there's so many different things that have gone into this Brody Van Wagen uh, uh, hire. I was actually reading an article the other day by Buster Only, and Buster Only basically said, I quote, MLB is filled with more trained and really smart executive candidates than any time in the history of Major League Baseball. And the idea that the Mets would hire a GM, someone without any experience running any part of a team, makes absolutely no sense. The disaster potential is staggering and unnecessary. And I think that, that wow. goes a long way. <laughs> when you with, with, with somebody with as, credi- as much credibility as Buster Olney, who has been around the game for a very long time, this has been the talk of sports radio, that the, fact, the, that the fact that the Mets went out and hired somebody that has absolutely no experience. On top of that, they also dug themselves even a deeper hole in the in the in the fact that they hired an agent, a former uh, a former MLB agent who was cur- was currently the agent of some of the players on the t- team. For example, uh, Noah Syndergaard and Jacob Degrom. Wow! So I mean, I anything mean, to keep those talking, two guys in New York, right? <laughs> I, I mean, dude, if you're talking about like just putting yourself in an awkward situation, how about you're taking the ex agent of some of the players on your team and now you're making them the general manager basically you just went from one side of the table to the other side of the table so it's 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 a really interesting hire i mean i'm not the one that's to sit here and say oh it's an absolutely ridiculously bad hire because you know what you never know it's 2018 maybe you just need a a breath of fresh air something new uh, you know, something that nobody's ever seen before, you know, every everybody's career, right? Everybody's great career starts off as a rookie that, you know, doesn't know what's going to happen, right? It, it, it happened with Bill Belichick. You can go down the list of everybody. Um, everybody starts off as a nobody and then turns themselves into a somebody. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, this this uh, this hiring of Brody Van uh, Wagner is just a very interesting one, and it's been the talk of sports radio uh, in New York the last couple of days. In the sense that um, it, it it just it just puts a big cloud over the Mets. In the sense that we we're taking a guy with just no experience and just and and, and putting and pinning him against his own his own clients. Basically, that's what we're doing, right? We're talking about how, you know, Jacob deGrom is in the, in line for a big deal. Well, now he just went from one side of the table in which he's actually representing uh, Jacob deGrom. Let's not forget, this is the same guy in the uh, at the All-Star game that told Mets, the Mets front office, if you don't want him here long term, then trade him. Now, six months later, <laughs> he's now the one that makes that decision on whether Jacob deGrom stays here long-term or not. So, I mean, we're going to have to see how this plays out. I also read another interesting article this morning that said that uh, this, uh, th- this guy has uh, a lot of close ties to the Wolpon family, which just I think is a disaster oh, to great. start with. <laughs> because we know that as the Wolpons, they're, they're, they're going to have their hands in everything. We also know that they're trying to moneyball this team in which they don't want to go out and spend a lot of money. Uh, so it, it, all of a sudden you take a family friend or a, a friend that has ties to their family and now you bring them into an organization in a position that the guy might not be qualified for. Uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, just, it, just, it just smells like something that's going to be uh, an absolute dumpster fire. But we'll, we'll see what happens. But. Honestly, a, a lot of people do not support this decision and uh, in this new hire of this GM. Only the Mets, right? <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. <laughs> only only the Mets. All right. So we will have plenty of off-season baseball talk as we get on as we go through the winter here with the hot stove and all that. Um, but let's let's uh, move on to the NFL here. And I thought that this story was over and done with, but apparently here we are. We are back, and he is back starting. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic returned. <laughs> Didn't get the win, but he brought them pretty damn close. Ruined my Cincinnati minus four and a half pick uh, this past weekend on my in my pick'em league. Uh, as the Bengals did end up winning by a field goal, but Fitzpatrick comes in after Jameis had uh, uh, probably his worst start as a starting quarterback. Uh, so Fitz is back starting this week against the Carolina Panthers um, in Carolina. But I mean, what 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 do we what do the Bucks do here, Kev? I mean, we talked about this earlier, and we thought this was over and done with. Jameis is their guy, but I, they don't have an answer at quarterback. I think that this year they have to go out and get a court, draft a quarterback. Yeah, they're in no man's land right now because the quarterback that they drafted to be their future sucks, and I absolutely hate Jameis Winston. I think he's one of the most overrated quarterbacks ever. I mean, I, I, I could you can label Jameis Winston as a bust. I mean, we're four <coughs> years into his career. He hasn't had any success. We know about the offseason problems. He turns the ball over just as much as Blake Bortles does. And, you know, the guy just he runs into issue after issue. So, uh, they're, they're, they're in no man's land right now because I don't think they have the quarterback for the future. I don't think they have a quarterback for now. We know that Fitzpatrick can maybe win you a game or two, but at the end of the day, that whole Fitzmagic thing is going to come back to reality and he's going to turn in the regular Ryan Fitzpatrick in which he's going to turn the, the ball over multiple times. So, yeah, I think the Tampa Bay Bucks are in real trouble. And you know what? If if I was the front office of the Tampa Bay Bucks, it's time to move on from Jameis Winston and kind of tear it apart and just find, you know, look, look towards the future and finding who your new quarterback is going to be. Completely agree. All right, moving on. The 8-0 LA Rams survive a big scare against the Green Bay Packers this past weekend, uh, getting some pretty good fortune as Ty Montgomery being an absolute idiot uh, taking the ball out of the end zone on that last kickoff with just over a minute and a half to go. He ends up fumbling. The Rams get the ball. They run out the clock. They survive, winning by two points over Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I mean, I don't know about you, but I felt completely robbed of getting to see another Aaron Rodgers last two-minute drive going down the field against one of the best teams in football. Um but if you're the Rams and that Packers team, which is basically Aaron Rodgers or bust, they're not a very good football team. Giving them a lot, of, giving the Rams a lot of problems for most of that game. Is there cause for concern on the on the uh, the number one team in football right now? No, absolutely not. I mean, you're eight and zero. It doesn't matter how you win. I mean, it's not you're not going to be able to blow every team out. This is not like Alabama, you know, going against uh, all the uh, subpar talent that they've faced this year. This is the NFL. You, you know, at the end of the day, you still have NFL football players. There's crazy talent on both sides of the ball. So a win is a win, and the fact that they're eight and zero right now, the Rams are just loaded on every in every aspect. I mean, special, you know, special teams with uh, Legatron, you know, Goff looks like a beast. The wide receiving core, you know, Gurley's probably the front runner for the MVP. And then the defense, uh, you know, you have two beasts with uh, uh, Adamic and Sue and uh, Jesus, why am I drawing his, what's, what's Aaron Donald. Defensive? Aaron Donald. What's up? Aaron Donald. Yeah, sorry, Donald. <laughs> 
Yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't know why I was drawing a blank. Uh, and Tlaib and those guys in the secondary. And now you just add Dante Fowler Jr., a former first-round draft pick, who I was actually a little surprised that the Jacksonville Jaguars got rid of him. I know he's been injury-prone, uh, but I still think he's a really young guy, and there's, you know, he's going to do some damage for the uh, the Rams. So, no, I don't, think, uh, I don't think they're in trouble whatsoever. All right, we'll talk more about Fowler and some other trades coming up in just a minute. But first... Todd Gurley basically laughing at the gamblers out there as the Rams went into that game. Yeah, I was one of, I was one of them. <laughs> the Rams were seven and a half point favorites going into that game. They're up by two. Gurley has a wide open path to the end zone, but instead gets the first down and basically falls down, uh, not going into the end zone, making millions of people lose their minds and lose their bet. And then he's basically mocking them on Twitter. Kev, how do you feel? Oh, I, uh, it was a double whammy for him. Not only did I have him in Vegas, but I also had him in fantasy. Oh, it was God. a double whammy. I was now granted, I can't be too I can't be too angry because they probably shouldn't have even been in that situation. Right. Ty Montgomery doesn't fumble. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, with a minute and a half left, probably drives up the field and gives them a chance to win. Uh, so, but the fact that they were in that situation and at that very moment we had, you know, I had a chance to snag another touchdown in fantasy. Uh, and uh, you know, win that bet of minus seven. Uh, I was very, I, I was definitely upset. I was definitely upset. Uh, and then, so then, moving on to the Cleveland Browns, who lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, pretty much getting their doors blown off. It has not been good since the first couple weeks of the season. And finally, after forty weeks of football and only winning three games in those forty weeks. Hugh Jackson has been fired. Uh, Also, offensive coordinator Todd Haley has been fired. And Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, has moved on to, uh, is now the interim head coach. Mr. Uh, Bounty Gate himself, Greg Williams. (laughs) Bounty Bounty Gate 2.0. Maybe that's the only chance the Browns got this year to get some more wins. But uh, how do you feel? I mean, I feel like about time in the Rams, the Browns had to do something. Uh, to put some juice into this team because the Hugh Jackson thing just isn't working. And you heard it. He basically didn't even remember the first half of the game at the press podium after the game, asking why he didn't use his timeouts to try to get some points. He said, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, from from the uh, the general manager and the owner's interview uh, and the, 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 the conference they had when they fired Hugh Jackson, it definitely seemed like this has been something that's come, been coming for the last couple of weeks. There seems to be a lot of disconnect in the front office right now, so that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Just poor, poor Cleveland Browns, right? You, you get a little success this season. You get the whole Baker Mayfield, of course, who bust out against the Jets uh, in that Thursday night football game. And just when you think you're taking a couple steps forward as a Cleveland Browns fan, you just take one giant leap back. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's – I mean – you win three games over you know a two-year span. It's it, it's the writing's on the wall. Yeah, um, and honestly, Hugh Jackson was a Marvin Lewis guy. I don't want anything to do with the Cincinnati Bengals organization, any assistant, anything that comes out of that organization while Marvin Lewis is still there because they just don't have a clue. Uh, sorry. It's not even that also. It's sorry, like the, Craig. The, the, <laughs> argument, the argument the last couple of years or like the last five years was that you know, the Browns don't have any talent. The Browns have talent this year. They have a lot of high draft ball. picks. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of high draft picks. Obviously, you got you, they had Carlos Hyde at the start of the season. You brought in, you know, Juice Landry. So it's not like they just have a bunch of bums out there. They have some quality guys, and it looks like Baker Mayfield. Uh, though we don't know if he's going to be uh, a top five quarterback in the league, he looks more than capable of uh, you know winning you a couple football games. So I, that that excuse of you know no talent on the field. 
uh, for Hugh Jackson just can't be used. A team that's in worse shape than the Browns right now, the New York football Giants. Uh, just an absolute disaster. Losing at home to the Redskins. No surprise there. That game was a pick em. That was a lock for the Redskins, I feel like. Uh, the Giants head into the bye, and Pat Shermer, the head coach, basically said he will not commit to Eli Manning for Week 10. But then on Monday, or Tuesday, rather, the backup quarterback, Kyle Laletta, gets arrested. So it looks like the Giants are stuck with Eli. Um, the Eli, I, this is it. I mean, I feel like, truly feel like this is it for Eli Manning. The Giants have to do something uh, here and draft a quarterback. They should have drafted Sam Darnold. Saquon Barkley's a fine player. They should have drafted Sam Darnold. They absolutely whiffed on that one. Um, and that's coming back to bite them there. But... Uh, I don't know. I mean, your backup quarterback's in jail, and your starter's just awful. I don't know. I mean, no, he's not in jail. He's I mean, not in jail. He well, just got but yeah. whatever. He just got a ticket for disobeying a police officer. Basically, the story is that he was running late for a meeting, and uh, he wanted he needed to get to the stadium. And he was put in cuffs. So <laughs> yeah, they basically blocked off the direction he was going in, and the guy said, "No, you have to go another way." And he tried to basically barrel his way through. Uh, Sorry, guy, you're the, the backup. Honestly, of all weeks to possibly be late to the meeting, right? You could have been late to any other meeting, but the week that this talk start of Eli being benched and you possibly becoming the starter, you can't make it to the first practice of the week. That's pretty disgusting, but we've talked about this uh, over and over again. Uh, the, the, the Giants, for the first time in a long time, the Giants are the laughing stock of New York sports. Uh, usually we're talking about the Mets or the Islanders or the Jets, of course, all three teams that I root for. <laughs> but this time it's the Giants, and they are basically they, – they are nowhere. I don't know what the plan of them going forward because they got some of these big contracts like you know Odell Beckham Jr. and Nate Soldier that they just signed, Olivier Vernon. Uh, but right now they, they don't have a quarterback, and we know that if you don't have a quarterback in this league, it doesn't matter what other talent you have around them. I mean, you don't even have a, a quarterback – that can be uh, – uh, they don't know who their quarterback is, who's taking snaps. So it's an absolute disaster. This is dead-ending. I could see them benching him and possibly starting him in the last home game of the year uh, just kind of as a, as, as a send-off. You know, you do the whole video, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. But uh, if you're the Giants, you need to, you know, start from scratch and find yourself a new quarterback. And what's a better way than doing of doing that – than, uh, you know, possibly having the number one pick in the draft. Right. So, uh, a few the NFL trade deadline has come and gone. That came on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. A few few decent uh named a few decent big name trades going down a couple big wide receiver big name wide receivers going golden tate going to the philadelphia eagles for a third round pick demarius thomas going from the denver broncos to the houston texans who the texans now look like the nfc the afc south is theirs for the taking they have rattled off i believe five straight wins um yes five straight wins since starting off zero and three and now they add demarius thomas after losing will fuller for the season uh so it's kind of a wash there um I like that move for the Texans. Don't really give up much. And then also the Golden Tate going to the Eagles. The Eagles still kind of struggling a bit there, um, even though they did come out with a big win over Jacksonville in London as they head to the bye. Ha-ha Clinton Dix, which was kind of surprising. Ha-ha Clinton Dix getting traded by the Green Bay Packers to the Washington Redskins. And, I mean, we all saw this one coming after we after what we mentioned there, the Ty Montgomery thing. He gets shipped out to Baltimore because he just simply could not play another game for the Green Bay Packers after that, after what he did there. So he's uh, now in Baltimore. And then lastly, Dante Fowler Jr., which you mentioned a few minutes ago, going to the Rams, have any of these deals stri- uh, jump out to you as potential big uh, big moves? 
Yeah, I mean, I do like the Demarius Thomas to the Houston Texans because I do think that you got to give some help to DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins needs another guy on the other side of the field, and if Will Fuller's not going to be there, uh, you got to have another threat. And I do think that Demar- – I don't think Demarius Thomas is, you know, washed up or done by any means. I just think Case Keenum and that offense in Denver just, you know, is not getting it done. I don't – you know, there's certain guys that come out of their prime and you think, okay, you know what – they're done uh but i still think that demarius has something in the tank so i i but i move is definitely golden tate to the philadelphia eagles the reason being is that division we've talked about is up for grabs seems like carson wentz is starting to get his feet under him after a sluggish start and the thing is right now the eagles do not have a running game since they lost to jay they just do not clement uh, you know, hasn't been the answer. Smallwood is really just a receiving back. Uh, they have the kid Adams from Notre Dame that has been playing well, but we'll see what happens with that. So if that's the case, right, you got to look. If you're Peterson, Doug Peterson, the coach of the, the Eagles, you have to take a look and be like, okay, what's the biggest strength of this team right now? Well, it's it's the wide receiving core that we had, uh, you know, and the tight ends with Ertz and those boys. Okay, well, let's just give Carson Wentz another weapon to play with. And you know what? They didn't really have to give up much for him because Golden Tate – is an expiring contract, and guess what? Golden play, Golden Tate's a very good wide receiver in this league. Yep. Dude, he's a, I mean, he's a reception machine. Now you put him as the number three wide receiver in the slot. He's a game changer. Yard after catch has always been a big part of his game. He's so playing I really for like one last contract move. too. He's in it. Yep. So exactly. So I really like the move that the Eagles made because they're in a position where they can still win now, and they seem like you just said they seem to be putting it together. And now that he's coming in off the bye after a big win against Jacksonville, I think just this put this puts them in a perfect situation to come out of a, the bye and kind of you know steamroll ahead and try to you know win a couple games and you know move ahead of uh, the Washington uh, Redskins in that division. All right, let's make some picks for Week Nine and Kev, my my guy, dude. Uh, I don't know what's happened. You had a three-game lead three weeks ago, and it has now evaporated. We are all tied up heading in <laughs> at, the, at the midway point. We are both at 11-10 and 10 this year, so let's make some picks for Week 9. Kev, your Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton, six-and-a-half-point favorites at home taking on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Tampa Bay Bucks. You think your guy Cam gets it done by a touchdown? Yeah, uh, I'm still taking Cam. I, I, I said this when we did our pregame you know, preview show of all the divisions. I think Carolina is the dark horse to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, and they've been playing really well of late. Their defense is slowly getting better, and uh, you know, obviously the offensive weapons that Cam has around him, the youngster Moore seems to be coming around their uh, first-round draft. Yeah, yeah he, he's coming around. He, he's uh, improving week by week. Um, and we know that Cam has the talent. I mean, he's led this team to the Super Bowl before. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely take what, either way, six, six and a half. I'll definitely lay that against uh, Fitzpatrick. I know Fitzpatrick uh, has the ability to put up points, but at the same exact time, he also has the ability to turn the ball over at any play. Yeah, uh, yeah, six and a half. I'm going to agree with you. Cam Newton at home. Last week they were getting points at home against Baltimore, and they ran, they destroyed Baltimore. We were both all over that. I like him this week. Fitzpatrick, I just, what, did, what did I go last week, by the way? You went one and two. I went three and oh. Oh, look at you. So uh, we are, yep. So anyways, yeah, Carolina, I I like them by six and a half at home. So I am taking the Panthers. Next up, out in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Seahawks. They are one and a half point favorites, welcoming Phillip Rivers and the Los Angeles Chargers to to town. 
I don't know about you, but I just feel like this they're just daring people to take the Chargers here, and I'm going to jump all over. I think Phillip Rivers, they're going to go in, and they're going to get that win in Seattle. That defense, I just don't think they're talented enough anymore to contain to contain all the weapons that Phillip Rivers has around him. And I think the getting points with Phillip Rivers against that team, I'm taking them. I'm taking the Chargers. Ooh, see, that's a tough one because I'm on the other end of that. I think that line at minus one and a half, everybody's thinking what you're thinking. Wow, I'm getting points with Phillip Rivers. I mean, we know that, you know, that that place, uh, that CenturyLink field is probably the toughest place to play in football. Uh, oof, that's a tough one. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take a flyer and I'm going to take Seattle minus one, uh, plus one and a half at home. I like teams getting points. Um, and I just feel like this is one of those games where you're like, oh, well, you got to take the Chargers. They're hot. They've been on fire. There's no, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to, sorry, I, sorry, I said giving points. Uh, if, if it's only minus one, I will uh, gladly take Seattle just to win at home. All right. And then last up, the two biggest names in all of football, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers going head-to-head Sunday night in Foxborough. Uh, for just the second time ever, Kev, Tom Brady facing off against Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers does have that 1-0 record against Brady. Patriots, 5.5-point favorites coming off an ugly win against Buffalo. That was one of the worst football games I've ever watched on Monday night. That was just awful. And I mean, you could tell the Patriots were in run-the-clock mode and let's experiment here. They were having Cordero Patterson. That pick six won me, uh, that pick six won me uh, a league in fantasy, so I can't complain. Yeah, that, uh, that pick six helped me out on the spread, too. Uh, so... They had Cordell Patterson as the running back this past week. But anyways, the Patriots, five-and-a-half-point favorites against Green Bay. No ha-ha Clinton Dix as that sa- at safety anymore. I think Tom Brady's just going to absolutely carve up Green Bay's defense. Aaron Rodgers might do the same, but I just can't see Green Bay stopping the Pats. So I'm going with the Pats getting less or giving less than a touchdown here. So I'm taking the Patriots. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I got to take, uh, you know, I got to take Brady. Uh, the reason being is that you also look, you know, just let's just say hypothetically, you look at both offenses and the quarterback position. You expect each team to put up points, but then you kind of look at the defense and look, okay, which one of these defenses is going to be able to slow the other quarterback back down? And like you just said, I don't think Green Bay's defense is going to be able to slow down New England. And you know what? Uh, I, I, New England's defense is pretty underrated. They're pre- they're pretty good. So uh, anytime you can get Brady at home, uh, is that game prime time? Yeah, it's the the Sunday night. It is Sunday night. All right, so then no, I was curious, um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely taking. Uh, I'm definitely taking. Dude, this Green Bay team is, you know, they're not good. Everyone talks. They're really not that good. Roger. Everyone talks. Rogers. 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 Yes, of course. Rogers is probably the best quarterback, but that you know, football is the ultimate team game. There's other aspects to this. You need to have your wide receivers get open. You need to be able to run the ball and balance and keep the defense off balance. I mean, they don't have a running game there. Besides Devontae Adams, there's really no other threat. I mean, Jimmy Graham, I thought Jimmy Graham was going to be a, a, you know, a big piece to the Green Bay offense. He really has not been. Um, and and I was looking at something yesterday. I was talking to one of my buddies. I did not realize how bad of a year Gronk is having. And with the, I know, I know he's banged up and I think time, I think I think the writing is on the wall that, you know, there was talks that Gronk was considering retirement uh, this year. I mean, if he's really banged up, I don't know if this is just because of injury or maybe just because he's getting doubled and triple teamed. But even with that, I mean, you got Julian Edelman out there. You got Josh Gordon out there. You have James White and Sonny Michelle. So it's not like, you know, New England uh, doesn't have other weapons. So I would 
think that Gronk should be able to get open. He's really having a disappointing year. But with that said, I feel like there's got to be a game. There's got to be a game this year that Gronk is just Gronk and, you know, does what he normally does with, you know, 10 for 150 and two touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, against this banged up, Green Bay defense that this is the game that he finally breaks out. Yeah, so if, definitely if, New England. If you watch Gronk closely, it's taking him a little longer to get going, like running-wise, than it has been in years past. Like, he really needs to take, like, five or six steps before he can really get into his burst. That initial burst just isn't there quite yet, and it could be injury-related, but we'll see. Um, so, anyways, moving on. I want to talk a quick NCAA here. The initial college football rankings are out. Alabama, no surprise, at one. Clemson at two. LSU at three, Notre Dame at four. I've seen a lot of people freaking out about the SEC bias, but Alabama and LSU are playing each other this week, so one of those two teams is going to be out of the top four come Monday. So I don't really get what the whole the crying is about that. And besides, the SEC is hands down the best conference in the country. Um, so I just don't I just don't get that anyway. But Ohio State is still in the mix here. Uh, Michigan's right there. Oklahoma's still there too. Those are all the one loss teams that are kind of waiting. Um, and then UCF is in the top ten too, I believe. But anyways, Alabama going to LSU. They are fourteen and a half point favorites. Kev, how do you feel about that line um, going in there? I'm taking I'm taking LSU. I, I I understand how good Alabama has been, but at some point this year, I feel like Alabama's gotta. We're gonna gotta find out, right? Like this is the week we find they, out if Alabama really yeah, is just I gonna mean, run exactly. through everybody. I mean, they've been I mean they've been destroying everybody, but I feel like LSU's defense they have their NFL stars on their you know defensive <clears throat> uh, side of the ball as well. Well, definitely some questions on LSU's offense on whether they're gonna be able to move the ball. Um, but with that said, anytime your night game. In LSU, uh, you know that it's going to be crazy. Uh, I I think 14 points is a lot. Um, if I do bet on the game, I don't know if I'm going to, but if I do bet on the game, I'm definitely going to take the 14 points at home against Bama because it's just it's just a matter of time before before they find themselves in a competitive game. And you know what? In a in a line like that, all it takes is you know LSU scores scores early and just goes up seven nothing. You know Alabama's got to score 21 unanswered against a very very good defense. So. Uh, I would definitely take LSU minus fourteen. So I saw oh, this. Sorry, plus fourteen. Sorry. I saw this stat that Alabama and their three SEC games or their three SEC road games has won by an average of like forty-two points or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, is just yeah, absurd. Been, we so, talked about how Tua, you know, Tua has not even played. You know, I'll, a lot of the starters haven't even played a fourth quarter. I was just going to ask There's you: Is this little... the week? Does Tua play in the fourth quarter this weekend? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be a competitive game. Um, and when I say competitive, I guess I can say within 14 points. Um, <laughs> I think too. I, yeah, if that's what you want. I'm not. I'm not going out uh, on the limb and saying that LSU is going to beat Bama, but I do think that Alabama will ha- definitely face its first challenge. Uh, one other thing to look at is whether Tua's knee is healthy because he has been banged up the last couple of weeks. Uh, Nick Saban has been giving him rest. Uh, with that knee, so we'll see if that comes into play. But yeah, no, I'm taking LSU uh, plus 14. I mean, that is so freaking ridiculous. We are in November now, and we are still talking about the best team in the country. Their quarterback has yet to have to play in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's just nuts. So and I mean, there's so many things about this Alabama team that are ridiculous, whether it be the point margin that they're winning by, the, the spreads that they, they've needed to cover, uh, you know, the fact that Tua has like 26 touchdowns and zero picks. I mean, you can go down the line with this team. You know, that's why there are talks that are saying that this might be 
the best overall team on the offense and defense the side of the ball that Nick Saban has ever had. Yep. So we'll see what happens. All right, and then to wrap up the show here, a couple NBA things. Ty Lue, uh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers are parting ways. He gets Shocker. getting canned. Shocker. You mean Ty Lue? You mean Ty Lue is not one of the greatest, is not a top five coach in the NBA? Yeah, so uh, uh, Ty Lue starting off 0-6 this year. He is gone. Um, no, yeah, no surprise at all. But the real interesting thing with the NBA this week involves LeBron James. No surprise. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Kev, but there was a commercial previewing Sunday Night Football this week, Brady versus Rogers, Goat versus Goat, with Michael Jordan narrating. And LeBron kind of tweeted at it like, oh, so you sent, or like, are we finally going to play one-on-one or something like that? And then he was just like, oh, I'm just kidding or whatever like that. But that sparked some... Uh, some debate here of if these two were to play one-on-one. I mean, if they were to play one-on-one today, LeBron James would win, no hands down, no problem, unless all of a sudden Michael Jordan is just draining threes and it's a win- like winner keeps ball and he gets the ball first. But, uh, other, I mean, I, I don't know why this is a debate right now. If these two today played one-on-one, that LeBron James and Michael Jordan would actually it would be competitive. Yeah, and, and if anything, from LeBron James' standpoint, I feel like it's a lose-lose, right? Because yeah. if he loses... Then he lost to you know Michael Jordan and I, don't, I how old is Michael Jordan fifty five no yeah fifty five so he lost to a fifty five year old Michael Jordan so automatically you know that just makes LeBron look bad and if he beats LeBron if he beats Michael Jordan they say oh well you just beat Michael Jordan at age fifty five you wouldn't have been able to beat him at twenty five so uh, yeah I think it's a lose lose I really hope that they don't I, for even like you know for even. T- uh, you know, like fundraising wise or charity wise, I hope they don't schedule anything where they go one on one because I think it would be a disaster. I mean, so I hope it, that doesn't happen. If they wanted to and do LeBron's like, a- got, LeBron's got a lot more, a lot more problems yeah. on his hand than worrying about playing. Uh, them uh, worrying about playing Michael Jordan one on one. We'll get to those in just a second, but I, like if they did it like a three point shootout, sure, cool, go for it. <laughs> like in the summer. Yeah, like, of course. Like, because the thing is, right, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Jordan can sh- still shoot the three. He just has to sit there and shoot. Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't that doesn't surprise what? me. But, I mean, it's yeah, – I, I could I – could, I just can't see. What do you think? So, like, say say if they did play, Kevin, they have a crowd there. What do you think the crowd would be? I think the crowd would probably be like 70-30 MJ, if not more. Uh, ooh, I don't know. I actually don't know. I think where where the game is played would definitely be. Uh, people would travel. People definitely- would travel for that. No problem. I don't think that really. I mean, sure, if it's in Akron, <laughs> maybe. But like, if they play, say they played like at Rucker Park next summer in New York City. So I think it, uh, I, I, mean, mean, I feel like people I, would be, like even just like rooting for the old. I don't know. I I I I, I think it'd be seventy thirty MJ. I mean, rooting for the old the old dog to beat the new beat the younger guy. Yeah, but you don't think that the younger generation is going to come out and support LeBron? I, and on top of that, like not even the younger generation. I mean, you forget about taking you know people that are you know say tw- you know twenty two twenty two and under. You know anybody that's probably between the ages of twenty and thirty five. Is definitely going to be a LeBron, you know, definitely going to be a LeBron James supporter. And then you have those people that are, you know, your old school guys that have just watched basketball for years that love LeBron James too. So, um, I yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's actually going to be probably guys that come out. I would actually say this. I would probably rather let's let's not even say seventy percent rooting for Jordan. I think there would be like ten percent of people there that would just show up to boo LeBron and say <laughs> yeah. boo LeBron. Right. That's yeah, I mean- it. it wouldn't not, not rooting for Jordan just. Booing LeBron. That's that because obviously LeBron is probably the most polarizing athlete 
that we've ever seen in our in our in our lifetime. And one of those ten percent would probably be Craig Latito. So yeah. I mean, ten percent that would just be there you know, booing LeBron. Well, I mean, we know you would be there in your LeBron underwear. So uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyways, uh, yeah, LeBron's comments this week though about actual basketball and his Lakers is they have kind of struggled here out of the gate. What was his comments exactly? Was it you wouldn't like me if I'm angry or when I get angry or something like that? I mean. What is I mean? Is that basically putting this entire roster on on notice that you guys could be dealt out before the trade deadline, as we saw with Cleveland last year? Yeah. So he basically came out and said, you know, I'm run, you know, my patience is running thin. You don't want to see me when, uh, you know, I'm angry and running out of patience. Yeah. And the reason I asked to bring this up is because, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had talked about where we kind of see LeBron uh, in the Western Conference and where do we think if if we able to finish as a, I said, yeah, you know, I need in the West this year. I totally take that back. I, I just looking at the landscape of the Western Conference, I feel like we're watching the LeBron James of when he was on the Cavaliers. Uh, you know, when they had absolutely nobody, and that LeBron basically has to go that out there every single night. He has to play every single night, and he has to bring it every single night. And if you look at the talent level in the West right now. It's just absolutely ridiculous. You just look at the teams at the bottom of the West. Let's not even talk about, you know, the Golden States and, you know, the Portlands. But, like, you got New Orleans, San Antonio, Minnesota, OKC. You had Houston that's gotten off to a slow start. Those are all the teams that, you know, they're at, are in the bottom of the West right now. And you just look at the talent level of those teams compared to what uh, LeBron has in the West. I just do not see it happening. So I totally take back what I said about LeBron. Uh, you know, finishing in the top three in the West, because I do not think it's going to happen. This team has been struggling to play defense. And you just look at this team right now, and I just feel like, you know, LeBron's getting, I'm not saying, you know, LeBron is hitting his, you know, uh, has hit his peak and is on his downfall yet, because he statistically had one of the greatest seasons he's ever had last year. But I feel like he's back into one of those situations where he's got to do it all. He's got to he's got to make everyone else better around him, and he's got to elevate the game of everybody else. I mean, there were those years in Cleveland when he had Kyrie and Love, and obviously the years in Miami when he had Bosh in Miami, uh, Bosh and Wade, where he didn't need to be the guy every single night. He could take some time off and give himself some rest. That's not the case in 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 LA this year. I think they're going to struggle. Uh, I think it's going to be tough. Do I think they will make the playoffs? Yes, but I do not see them being a top three seed. And I do not think that the the, the Lakers and LeBron are going to wet, uh, are going to represent the uh, the Western Con- are going to even be in the Western Conference Finals this year. Yeah. I just can't see it. We'll see if there's some changes to be made, but you can already see this thing kind of going. Uh, it's going to take some time, right? It always takes some time. Whether it was with Miami or whether it was if, with the guys in Cleveland. Uh, I think LeBron will figure out how to get these guys to play with each other. But to think that they're going to be able to compete for the title this year, uh, I, I think that's very tough to say because it, things are not uh, shaping up the way that it looked like it would. Yeah, um, all of this really, these comments really told me is that this team's going to look different come the springtime. <laughs> that's what I that's what I truly think. So and it might be all for nothing because what Golden State is doing already at the start of this year without DeMarcus Cousins and you know Clay Thompson just set the record yeah. for most three-pointers in a game. I mean the guy scored 50 points in like 25 minutes and didn't even play the fourth quarter. Uh, and you have DeMarcus Cousins, who's ahead of schedule, looking good. I mean, that's the scariest thing I could think of, is that the Golden State Warriors 
scored 95 points in the first half the other day. And DeMarcus Cousins is on his way back and looking good. So, yep. I mean, this could all, this could all be all, all for nothing anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is – I mean – I, I don't really think anybody's going to beat the Warriors, so I didn't really think the Lakers would have a shot to beat them to begin with. But anyways, Denver Nuggets look good though, baby. Do I got to give a shout out to my Nuggets. They're yeah. second in the West. They're second in the West right now. They beat Golden State the other night. There you uh, go. Jokic, you know, Jokic, Gary Harris, and those boys look good. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Look at that. All right. Well, that's going to. Hey, I got to give a shout out. There's a. I know. There's probably about three Denver Nuggets fans besides myself that might listen to this podcast. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. This this week, uh, subscribe at AFR Pod. Like us on Twitter and fa- follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook at AFR Pod. Thanks, guys. We'll be talking to you next week. Have a good one.